Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. First up today, folks, and we have to apologize a little bit. We had two longer interviews that were supposed to frame this show with Ross Douthat, Douthat of the New York Times. I'm, I'm so bad at last names, folks. My apologies there. And Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. Chuck interviewed both of them last night at an event here in Arizona. It was fantastic. We were going to open and close the interview with that. We had a technical difficulty, and the last half of each interview basically got wiped out by the electronic gods, Chuck. And so we're, we're kind of scrambling a little bit. We pasted the two of them together. You're going to hear them uh, in this segment, and then we're going to continue on with just Chuck and I talking about some of the issues of the day and, and some about this. Yeah, the event last night was Center for American Institutions of ASU, um, and the the whole pro, the whole point was to have them in a forum, and they're about the responsibilities of the media in the age of polarization. The one thing Ross said that was really interesting to me is, if conservatives really want to go and change the media, they need to start getting some conservative foundations that start financing journalism, that start buying some papers and making them nonprofits. This is what you and I have we, talked, we talked about. about forever, and he was very specific about it last night, saying. You've got to be serious about it. And you and I talked about this, about the Koch brothers, how much difference they would have made if they had gone by five or six major daily newspapers. And so he brought that up. I was, it was, I was like listening to you and I talk. I found that very interesting. And then Kimberly was wonderful. She started as a reporter in Europe for the Wall Street Journal, now the editorial page. So, folks, you'll find this interesting. We're going to get them both on here within the next month to talk more about it. And we hope you'll enjoy this clip. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. Today, this segment, we are honored to have with us Kimberly Strassel. She is a columnist and editorial writer for the Wall Street Journal. You can also catch her on her podcast with Potomac, 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 I can't pronounce it. Potomac Watch. Potomac Watch. Potomac Watch. And she has written a new book called The Biden Malaise. Yeah. Well, it's so great to be here. Thanks Thank for having me us. in. Yeah. So is Joe Biden worse than Jimmy Carter about the same? No, I, I think he's worse. And here's why. Ah. And 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 I because I think the comparison is utterly unfair to Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Um, and that's why I ended up writing the book, right? That's fantastic yeah. and timely. Yes, and that is that is exactly why I did it because, you know, we had all these comparisons. The minute inflation popped up, the minute we had the horrible Afghanistan withdrawal, the minute that uh, we had an energy problem. But the difference is Jimmy Carter, he was he was not a great president. But he inherited a lot of his problems, right? Yes. We were already in the 70s, in the middle of the great inflation. OPEC, all that. OPEC, oil shocks, uh, you know, Cold War, turmoil, uh, etc. Joe Biden created all of his problems. And that's a really important For spite. For spite. Or or just because he lacked the backbone to push back against progressives in his party. The act blew yeah. Segment of his party. That's right. That's really what it is. You know, and if you and that's the other thing. If you go and look at Jimmy Carter, he was an unpopular fellow in part because he pushed back on parts of his party and didn't always do what they wanted him to do. I also think Jimmy Carter is just a better person. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I I'm stunned with the past. Well, the press has tried. I mean, so tonight I was watching NBC Nightly News, and we were talking earlier about the number one story in NBC Nightly News was the migrant problem in New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people in the Republican governors did it. Abbott is an example. It was a stunt. 
Right. And now let's put a focus on it where Mayor Adams is saying, where's the federal government? Which, right. which Texas and Arizona have been saying forever. Yeah, right? sure. Right, 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 right. But I noticed tonight the third or fourth story was about Hunter Biden and Biden's connection. Finally. So finally they're starting to do it. I'm interested when it becomes number one. But the fact that it was in the segment, number three or four, the first third, I found that interesting, which you would not have had a month ago. No. And I think the only reason they're doing it, though, I mean, let's not give anyone too much credit. They're doing it because when you have a U.S. federal prosecutor, special counsel, as it is now, David Weiss, saying that he has an intention to file indictment prior to the end of September, that's kind of news. And and so we're going to see. But that's a really good point. I mean, Jimmy Carter, again, a lot of faults, but... Could you imagine him? And I mean, this is not a man who would engage in graft. He was deeply religious. Um, he had great, you know, respect for the office of the presidency. Correct. Um, uh, it just there's no comparison with Joe Biden. No, none whatsoever. So, what are the three takeaways for our audience who are recommending they get the book? Yes. What What are the three takeaways? Let me start first. This. What surprised you when writing the book? Well, just how bad. Biden is. Worse, worse than I you mean, thought. Yeah, no, just, you know, again, because people on the surface make these comparisons. You right. know, it's like, oh my God, the worst president since Jimmy Carter. And I always say, like, that's not fair <laughs> Jimmy right. Carter. Um, because you have, you realize when you go through the, the stories of what happened to Carter and what happened to Biden, the, the, the many and deliberate efforts that were taken to end us up in the situation that we are now. Okay, I mean, let's just be really clear. We shouldn't have any inflation at the moment. No. It's entirely the purpose both of the fault of both the extraordinary overspending, but also the pressure the Biden administration and progressives in Congress put on Jerome Powell to keep interest rates low for too long. And, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with rising gas prices right now. I mean, look what just happened this 40 week. 40 million acres. Was it a 40 million yes. acres? So they, out of Alaska. federal lease is gone. And by the way, can I just point out that a number of those millions of acres are on something called the National Petroleum Reserve, which when Alaska, they were setting up all these different areas, it was a specific agreement and deal that was made is that the federal government would lock up some of this in national parks, but this would be remained to do drilling on. And they're reneging on that. They're reneging on the leases that were duly issued at at the very moment that OPEC is squeezing our necks. So, you know, by the way, Jimmy Carter would have killed to have had a domestic energy industry. Oh, 100%. He didn't have it, but he did good work. He, he started to deregulate the natural gas industry. He did everything he could to support um, oil and coal. Um, you know, he really wanted us to be independent. And Joe Biden just wants other people to drill oil and send it here. Welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds. Today, we are honored to have with us New York Times columnist Ross Dowtap. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. me. So did you get in today? Uh, Just two hours ago. Oh, my gosh. Uh, You take off tomorrow? And I take off tomorrow, yes. Uh, We have, I have four kids at home, and one of them is starting middle school, and one of them is starting pre-K. So I can't be gone too long. I can't take any camping trips into the desert or anything (laughs) like that. It seems like the right weather for it, but maybe next time. That's fantastic. So... You've been a New York Times columnist for four years now? No, for I've been a New York Times columnist since, amazingly, 2009. Okay. So I started in Barack Obama's oh my goodness. very first year, yes. So how do, you, how do you get along with your colleagues? I know there's a lot of independent thinkers there. 
probably many of them sort of lean left to a degree. I think that's fair. That's I, probably fair to how, say, how, yes. How has that been for you intellectually and as a work environment, and how have they accepted you? I mean, I think the, you know, the work environment has always been good. I mean, I was, you know, I was a conservative when I was hired. I, I don't think there's sort of any secret that I'm there to sort of represent right. views that are not shared by all of the New York Times readership, right. to, put it, to put it mildly, right? Our audience tends to be more more liberal-leaning. Um, but I think there's a lot of support for that work institutionally in the paper. Um, you know, I think that the challenge is like everything in American politics. Everything has become more challenging over the last five or ten years than it was when I started. Like, you know, in hindsight, the Obama-Romney race in 2020, 2012, right? It was a relatively low-key presidential election. Very much didn't, so. Well, it didn't, I mean, it didn't necessarily feel that way at the time, but compared to the Trump era, right? And so everything has been sort of higher stakes um, in, the last, in, in the last six or seven years. And obviously, COVID, wokeness, everything else has, you know, it's, it's sort of made the job of writing for an audience that disagrees with you somewhat challenging in new ways. Um, but at the same time, I consider myself very lucky because we live in a very polarized media environment where it's not just that most readers are reading people they agree with. Most writers are sort of writing almost exclusively for people who agree with them. Um, and you know, at least in theory, the point of arguing in public is to convince at least some people, Correct. push them a little bit in your direction. And I'm not sure whether I succeeded that or not, but just getting the opportunity to try on a consistent basis is, you know, it's a it's a dream job with with all of the challenges that dream jobs uh, I do, entail. I do know with my college educated Republican friends that your articles probably get forwarded the most. That's good to hear. Uh, That's and good. They, they enjoy your writings. Doesn't mean they always agree, but they enjoy your writings. It brings me a point. So Mike Pence gave a speech today about conservatism. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Is is he talking about an era that's gone, or is it an era that needs a new champion? I think he's mostly talking about an era that's gone. Um, I think that, you know, there's always continuity as well as change in American politics. And there are ways in which, you know, you can go back to the Reagan era and see some surprising commonalities with the Trump era. Donald Trump, for instance, was not the first Republican president to, you know, use tariffs and fight trade wars and these kinds of things, right? He was not the first Republican president to try and get America out of foreign wars. Um, So there is is more continuity sometimes than you would think. But the broad vision that Pence stands for, um, I really think belongs to an era when Republicans and conservatives were just fundamentally a lot more optimistic about the condition of the country. There was a moment at the first Republican debate um, that where Vivek Vivek Ramaswamy uh, was talking about sort of depression and malaise and mental illness in America. And Pence broke in and said, no, no, there's, you know, the only thing wrong with America is that we need leaders who are worthy of our country. Right. And and this is a, a sort of long running sort of old school conservative view that the country's in great shape. The problem is just liberals in Washington, D.C. And I think 
Trump's election was itself a sign that Republicans didn't really believe that anymore, that they were willing to, you know, elect someone who who would sort of, you know, break things for want of a better right. term, because think because the country was going in such from their perspective, a, a dire direction. And I think that's still where Republican voters are now. The you know, I don't think it's clear where the party goes from here, but I think the sort of the the basic optimism that the country is all right and just the leadership needs to change that Pence embodies, that's not where I think most Republican voters are anymore. They think things are more dire than that I agree. We're generally. Not, we're not happy warriors anymore. No. And we're, I mean we're you, just warriors. We're not we're, happy. Yeah, exactly. The mentality is you know, there's a battle for the future of the country and we need to win it, but it's not, you know, it's it's a tough battle and things are not necessarily going our way. I think no, that's, that's the sense Republicans have. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. This is Sam Stone with your host Chuck Warren and Kylie Kipper. Thank you to Chuck and Kip for the fantastic interviews that are leading and finishing this program today. Uh, but in the meantime, folks, how's your portfolio doing? How's your how's your finances doing? If you have not gone to check out our friends at investyrefi.com, you really need to do that. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25 fixed. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a fantastic opportunity. We've talked about it quite a bit. It's time for you to go there and take a look. Investyrefi.com or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Well, first of all, we have a clip I want to talk about. There's been some um, conservative media has gone hypersonic that Kamala Harris says she's ready to take over the presidency. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead and play this clip, please. Questions about the president's age often go hand in hand with questions about how you would step in the role, you know, if necessary. Do you feel prepared for that possibility? Uh, and serving as vice president prepared you for, for that job? Yes. And how would you, you know, describe the, that, that process? Well, first of all, let's, I'm answering your hypothetical. Um, but Joe Biden's going to be fine. So that is not going to come to fruition. But let us also understand that every vice president, every vice president, understands that when they take the oath, that they must be very clear about the responsibility they may have to take over the job of being president. I am no different. Sam. Well, first off, she had to say that. Well, first of all, she had to say it, and no vice president would not say it. Of course. Like, I don't want this job. Are you kidding me? I I mean, this is – dear conservative listeners, Sam and I are conservative. We have been in the trenches. We have skin in this movement. You cannot cry wolf about everything. For a statement that, frankly, I don't know what she could say differently than what she said if she's vice president of the United States. And we seem to go want to keep – we have a conservative journalistic sphere that wants clickbait. Let's let's see, for example. So Tucker Carlson interviewed this guy this week, Larry Sinclair, 
that had smoked crack and had sex with Obama, right? Uh, allegedly, who a, says a, he, a, he alleged, did. Allegedly, I, right? Allegedly. So, so part of the backstory about this, by the way, and I'm not sure why Tucker had this guy on. He is a a known fraudster. I mean, you know, he's oh, got he's a long, long record. rap sheet. A yeah. long rap sheet. He was been he served jail. He filed an affidavit 20 years ago saying he couldn't stand trial because he was terminally ill. He's still alive, right? Right. Colorado records him having 13 aliases. <laughs> he has failed polygraphs over this claim. Tucker did it about. Matter of fact, Barstool Sports founder Dave Portnoy said... Who I'm I, a huge fan of. said, I met Larry Sinclair when I was doing my Tucker thing a couple weeks ago. I would trust Anna Delvey before I trusted anything Larry Sinclair said. Top to bottom, maybe the least trustworthy human I ever laid my eyes on. <laughs> so my, my point is... Here's the thing. Dave Portnoy has a very good um, B, you know what, detector. Yes, he does. He, he really does. He does. He does. Very much so. Very much so. And so, folks, we have a responsibility what you share on social media, what we give clicks to. A vice president of the United States that neither Sam and I in a million years would vote for. I think she is not the brightest bulb in town. I think she's ill-prepared for the job. I think she does not represent any views whatsoever I represent or want in my country to have. And you can make that judgment, and the majority of the country agrees with you. She's the low, she has lower approvals than Biden, and Bidens are horrible. Yep. But when you're asked a question by a foreign correspondent where she did this interview at about, why well, are you raised to... Of course she's supposed to say it. The well, real news would be if she said, oh, my God, no, I don't want this. Right. That's now, the news. That would be the news. Right, right. Then the question is, when is your resignation coming, Madam exactly. Vice President? Exactly. And, and, you know, look, at the end of the day, too, and not that, you know, dear God, I would be terrified for this country with Kamala Harris as our 100%. But on a foreign, you know, international stage, if you're trying, if you're the vice president and you don't say that. You have just weakened and made this country more vulnerable if you don't come out and just say, yes, of course I'm prepared. So what we're doing on the right is we'll be clowning ourselves. Um, We have to start being more serious about what we put out there in the social media sphere, what we think is actually worthwhile. Larry Sinclair is not worthwhile. Even if it's true, Obama is not current occupant of the Oval Office. It would happen 30 years ago. I don't care. Well, and, and I, let me expand on that, Chuck. I do not care at all about a politician's sex life. No. It does not make any difference or interest to me whatsoever. No, not me whatsoever. So, folks, let's start being a little more serious about what we look at. Um, Jeremy's going to play another clip here from Mayor Adams. Folks, as you know, before we play it, Governor Abbott, G- Governor uh, DeSantis, um, bust migrants to New York City and other areas. Governor Ducey, let's give him some yes, credit, Governor too. Ducey he got yeah, in on the act. Did. Yep. And all the press said this was a stunt. And folks, it was a stunt. But the stunt's purpose was knowing the hypocrisy of these mayors of these sanctuary cities, the ones that go and claimed all of these border state governors are racist. And so they said, fine. You're a sanctuary city. You have promised these social services. Therefore, you take care of the problem. So what they did is they shipped them to New York City, a city where Mayor Adams says it was a sanctuary city. Jeremy, go ahead and play this clip. support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to 
I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. <coughs> One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. Now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. All of us. And so I say to you, as I turn it over to you, this is some, some of the most educated, some of the most knowledgeable, probably more of my commissioners and deputy commissioners and chiefs live in this community. So as you ask me a question about migrants, tell me what role you played. How many of you organized to stop what they're doing to us? How many of you were part of the movement to say, we're seeing what this mayor is trying to do, and they're destroying New York City. It's going to come to your neighborhoods. All of us are going to be impacted by this. I said it last year when we had 15,000. I'm telling you now, with 110,000, the city we knew. So, we, obviously, we're going to break right now. We're going to be coming back with more in just a moment here, but... You know, look, 10,000 people, he's complaining about 10,000 people. 10,000 people is a slow day on the border. Biden's been president for two and a half years. So you're talking about something like eight, nine, almost 900 days he's been in office. So now let's multiply that 10,000 10, by all those days and now ask yourself how people are dealing with the rest of them in the rest of this country. Exactly. This is Breaking Battlegrounds. We'll be right back to talk more about Mayor Adams, New York, and Biden's lousy border crisis. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. Folks, check out our friends at investyrefi.com. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed. Uh, this operates a lot like a CD, folks. So if you need your principal back at any time, 100%, you can get it. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio with an extremely high rate of return. And by doing well for yourself, you're actually doing good helping college students get their lives back on track by refinancing their stu their private student loans. This is a fantastic opportunity. Check it out, investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Sam, you've, you've worked a lot on the border crisis here in Arizona. You've done a lot of policy. You've done a lot of research. Talk more about it. So Mayor Adams is complaining now. Now, part of the problem for Mayor Adams is being a sanctuary city, they have promised so many social services. My understanding, what's interesting about this is last night, NBC Nightly News led with this story. It was the first day of school and 20,000 new migrants were going to school. And they're explaining this, the cost of this. But again, this would not have happened without Ducey, DeSantis, and leadership on this by Abbott. Yep. This never would be a front page story. And now it is. It is. And that was the intent 
all along. It was the right move. Look, my the first major race I worked on was a congressional race in southern Arizona on the border. So we, we had a, about 140 miles of the border in that congressional district. We went down there. We met with the farmers and ranchers. I'll never forget the story I got from one of them who uh, he was getting older. His kids had moved out of the house, gone off to college. So it was just him and his wife there. And his house had been broken into 16 times that year. 16 times. Now, what he had actually done was go ahead and put out food and drinks and all this stuff, put refrigerators. So they wouldn't break in. So go take some water, take some food and get on your way. And so then they did stop actually breaking in, right? But but that's the impact on one person. You're talking about a, an issue where we have millions of these folks coming here. And what Adams has done and what New York and some of these other cities are doing by, by treating them the way, quite frankly, they treat the black population, which is we're going to keep you in a very minimal living right. and not expect you to actually do any work or any sort of thing like that. Uh, they are exacerbating the costs of this dramatically. They're increasing the number of dependent type people who are coming here for this. Um you know, look, this is there are so many elements of this. Nobody comes across the border without the permission of the cartels. So there be these people are all being trafficked in one sense or another. They've either paid directly or now they're here as indentured servants or sex sex trafficked. I, this is a problem that thank God for those governors who stood up and did this. It might have been grandstanding. The news might have might have thrown a little hissy over it at the time, but you know what? It worked. They were throwing a hissy as of six weeks ago. Right. I mean, I will say this. God bless Mayor Adams for at least being blunt about it, not caring he offends the administration and saying this is a problem. It's a problem in Chicago now. They're complaining about it. Um, I, as long as the problem was in Phoenix and Dallas and in places Yuma, that Democrats— Tucson, who yeah. cares? Who cares? Right. Yeah. But now that it's affecting these big national Democrats in, in the coastal cities where there's real Democrat media there that has to now be forced to cover this story, the, the, the sense of indignation coming from the left that this is a story now is just entertaining. As well, I think one thing, too, for our listeners to understand, this is not going to slow down. The world is in chaos. So there's not – it's not – folks, it's not like – 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where they came from Central America, Mexico. These are folks coming from Russia, Ukraine. They're coming from the Middle East. They're coming from Africa. They're coming from Cuba. They're coming from Venezuela. This is not slowing down. So you got to get a border policy that actually works done. What was the Pew study a couple of years ago that said something like 60% of the world's population would move to America if they could? And I would, too. I mean, that's that's why I always see these moronic progressives saying, what a horrible country. Hey, Jackass, over 5 billion people in the world would come to America if just given the chance. Right now. Right this very minute. Yeah, you want to you talk about housing crisis? Oh, I my mean, gosh. So th- that's the other thing. So the lowest estimate out there is that there are two plus million people who have come here illegally or claimed asylum status under the Biden administration. I think it's quite a bit more than probably that. Double. It may, it's probably more double. Maybe more than double. It's probably double. But let's say it's 2 million. We have not built 2 million new housing units in the last two and a half years. We've probably not built 200,000 new housing units. We're behind several years of housing just we're, to catch up. We're behind up. by more than a decade. So I mean, so – and you look at the issues with schools. You're complaining about – Democrats always complaining about school funding. Well, you're bringing kids here who require a vastly higher rate of spending to, to get them caught up. You, you are stressing every level of your social service system. You have a lot of kids who are coming here 
who are kids in our definition because they're 13, 14, 15, but they're not in Mexico, right? Absolutely. And so then we're taking them in under our system. Folks, we're going to go to the next interview here. Chuck, I didn't even catch which order we're doing them in. Do so we Kimberly the... Strassel was the first one. Ross from the New York Times Ro- will be the Ross next Ross Dutat is the next one. Folks, stay tuned for that, and then stay tuned for the podcast segment afterwards. We're coming back with more. A new segment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds, the Scramble Show, where we are <laughs> making up for our electronic foibles. If hey, we had one more, we look, would have a scramble. Well, look, we're Gen Xers. We do not. We, we should not be expected to be good with technology. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like all the younger generations have an advantage on this front that we are not allowed to have. Exactly. We grew up with. Did Did you have a computer growing up? No, no, I, I started college with a typewriter. So I, <laughs> and I remember, and I remember my friend Darren Richards, who was the top public defender for Clark County, Nevada, folks. If you don't know, it's in Las Vegas. I remember when the computer came out. He goes, "This is a fad. This will never last." <laughs> so I, I can I can actually top you on that one, Chuck. My father wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal at that time. They said it was a fad. Yeah, that this was never gonna this is never gonna work in business. It won't stick. He, it won't stick. He's his. his Two most famous articles are the two he was most wrong on. He, he he said the computers would not make it. And then number two, he said Amazon was a fad. <laughs> well, you can't he, be a bold prognosticator unless you're willing to make bold. He was right about many, many things in his life. Not those. Not those. Well, it's like my friend who was invited to invest in the first KFC. And he said, no one's ever going to buy chicken going through a fast food. <laughs> and then his second opportunity was to invite in the storage units, you know? He goes, oh, yeah. No one's going to take their stuff out of a garage and put it in a storage unit. Oops. So those are his two things that he's um, failed on. Anyway. We, we, anyway, we have, uh, as, as always, the irrepressible Kylie Kipper is in studio with us here. And we were planning, in going forward, it's going to be a new feature on the podcast segment, a new feature program with Kylie, Kylie's Corner. This is a conspiracy theory based? Uh... Not necessarily conspiracy theory, but okay. more I wanted to, for those that have been around for a while listening to yes. us, it used to be the sunshine moment. But, you know, the world's not always sunshiny, and I like to talk about other topics. So sometimes... Kylie has Dan gone down the hole of gloom and doom. Kylie is, Kylie is the captain of sunshine and murder. Exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one's not actually a murder case that I'm talking okay. about today. This is um, a case up in Utah where this, this mother was just arrested. I think it was this week, or maybe last week. Ruby Frank, Frankie, there's been pronounced twice. But she's a Utah mom who is a big YouTuber. So she has 2 million followers on YouTube. Oh, I saw something called, about this. Yeah, they're called Eight Passengers because there's eight of them, six kids. And she, would, she was basically known for her tough love, I'm putting this in air quotes, um, of why people would watch her. Uh, so she was recently just arrested for child abuse. So what had happened was her kid escaped from a window and ran to a neighbor's house and said, I need food, I need water. He was duct taped on his wrists and his arms and... Had I listened to the 911 call from the guy that whose house he ran up to, and he just broke, he was breaking down crying, was like, this kid's been tied up, like, th- there's lacerations on his arms from ropes. Oh, my God. Um, and so I had never even heard of this woman before. I 
Do we, how many followers does she have on two, YouTube? Two, two million. million. Two, two million. million. Yeah, so two million people are watching her parenting advice. You make really good money when you yes. have that kind of followers. Like yes. that's a that's a significant. Well, they would do meet and greets. So people were posting photos of like them actually going to like meet the family, which was weird in my mind. Yeah. Wow, very, very weird. Yeah. yeah, which I'm not. I don't have kids, so there was no need for me to watch a mommy blogger, but. Two million people apparently did think that. Um, so I went back and I watched some of the videos and there were, over time you could see it get worse. So in the beginning it was just like, I'm a strict parent, no sleepovers, which is, I get in this day and age, like right. very normal. Right. Um, I, I, You know, if, there's a line, I think. Yeah. It's it's a yeah. little bit like what was the 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 justice who said I I you know I can't tell you what pornography is I right. know it when I see it right? right it's the same kind of thing it's really a judgmental line yeah but in this day and age it's hard to criticize someone for being a a strict parent yes yes so Chuck's Chuck's looking at me because I just switched to my next note page <laughs> <laughs> but where I st- saw it Do we have start- audio issues on this page <laughs> no 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 this is all good. Um, so where I saw it going south was when she started using food as her main, uh, like, I guess, punishment. So in many times so it was, in her it was videos, a carrot and stick situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many times she would say food is a privilege. So you have to earn it. So there would be many like mornings where she'd say her kid would be like, Mom, I'm really hungry. And she's taping all of this and putting it on YouTube for years now. And she's like, did you do the dishes? She's like, yeah, did you do the laundry? Yeah, her kid's six, by the way, in this video. She's like, yeah, I did. She's like, did you clean the toilets? She's like, yes. She goes, did you mow the lawn yet? And she goes, no, mom, I'm really hungry. And she was like, well, you can't eat until you mow the lawn. Get out there. Didn't her audience, excuse me, didn't her audience feel like they were enabling her? Yeah. I mean, so some people, there was like a very torn, people would report her videos. Neighbors have called, have said that they've called the cops on this family and they've just, they've done nothing, which I don't, I think, so they recently joined, when I say recently, like five years ago, the oldest daughter, she's 20 now, so she's out of the house, she's going to college. She said that they joined this group called Connections, which is a mental health podcast, it's spelled with an X, and her, the woman, the host of that was also arrested, Jody, because the kid, when he escaped, was fr- in Jody's house, so okay. not actually the family's house, so okay. it's a little confusing. Huh. Um, so this woman has been arrested too, because it was hap- occurring in her house as well, but the 20-year-old daughter who's now in college said that when they joined Connections, they started getting um, – she didn't use this word, but I'm going to say cult-like. They were – it was a really strict following. And that's when she separated from her family. So the oldest 20 who probably endured some of this abuse when she was younger. But not not to the level not probably – sounds the like it was escalating. Yeah, yeah, it's escal- so she said since this – in 2018 when they joined, it it's gotten really bad. The dad used to be a professor at BYU. He's kind of like – he's not arrested. He's – supposedly they were separated for the past year. So I don't know if maybe that's when it got really bad was this past year. But uh, basically this case is open. One of the daughters was talking about how they have um, limits of how much food they can eat. So Fridays and Mondays is 1,900 calories. Tuesdays and Thursdays is 1,700 calories. That's not enough for a kid. And then Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, it's 1,500 calories. Oh, that, no, that's oh, – no, I mean – Not enough at all. No, that's that's not enough. Well, I will tell you, Utah will pounce on this. She will be serving jail, if not prison time, on this. And good. Yeah. yeah. And good, I mean, and really, she should. They so, will. But so um, I, Alex Murdoch did the same thing. He, they have all these calls, and then, like, the calls in jail are still – like, you can request them and hear them. So supposedly one of the calls, I say supposedly, I listened to it. So one of the calls, <laughs> <laughs> unless it wasn't Jody's voice, um, she was talking to her husband or the, who she's been separated with for a while now. Um, 
about the, there was apparently a flood in their house and they were discussing the so while she's in jail they were discussing renovations of the flood that was that happened in their house over like anything else that's more important in their life which apparently not the kids wow the world is really screwed up yes very and i do feel like this woman i don't think that's going to be something abnormal I think as people try to find purpose to a confusing, chaotic world, I think we're going to hear more stories like this over and over and over because people are trying to find meaning. They're trying to find purpose or trying to find structure because it's not out there. Well, I I think all of that, but I think then it goes to a different and dangerous level with social media because the driver behind behind these social media accounts is you have to keep building your interactions. I mean, who's watching? Who are the two million people? I'd love to know the demographics of the two million people watching this woman. Me too. I mean, what makes that worth your time? Well, I I mean, look, in a certain sense, I think you can see it because for parents, the advice they're getting from the official sources appears to have failed in so many ways. It it happens all the time, too. Right? I mean. It's it's unique. That's a hard part. We are in the country that want to protect parental rights. Right. And, and, And there is a danger on overboarding that so much. But, you know, so they're always going to take, I think, the parents' side on a lot of things, unless you have some real, real proof or evidence. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and look, one of the things when you're dealing with whatever your state calls child protective services, um, one of the things you realize is the situations they routinely see are so beyond the av- the understanding of the average human right. being, even far beyond what Kylie you're describing in this. I mean, because from working at the city of Phoenix, I know I've seen some of the police reports that are attached to these things. You're talking about, you know, kids. It's, this is sick, folks. But kids being kept in cages is not as uncommon as we'd all like to believe. Yeah. Kids being starved yeah. uh, for for really un, unfathomable reasons is not uncommon. And the problem is it gets passed down from generation yes. to generation to generation, which creates a whole culture of psychopaths. It, it's, yeah. it is consistent. I mean, you really do see the generational trauma, the effects of it. And a lot of stuff right now tied to the generational poverty that we've created with government programs, which becomes so hopeless that it increases the frequency of those traumas because people are lashing out in, even at their own families for things that are affecting their lives. Well, and the three of us in this room, <coughs> we hit the lucky sperm club. By being born into the families. I was going to say, after, this, is, this is Chuck's yeah. second uh, statement of the day that I'm not sure won't get bleeped on Christian <laughs> but, radio but, here, but, but, but it's true. It is true. We, we, the three of us in the room, and you know, when I was growing up, quite until 10 years ago, I thought my upbringing was somewhat average American upbringing. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a middle class home. My parents worked hard, did dinner, you know, there was no abuse, there was nothing like that. They were supportive and, you know, prepare you for the future. The older I get, what I was, what was available to me is rare. Yeah. And you wonder why we have problems in this country and throughout the world. It's not, it's not unique to America. This happens everywhere. It's one of the reasons I was disappointed that friend of the show, Larry Elder, was not allowed to go on, you know, to, to participate in the debate. Um, to talk about that. To talk about that issue specifically. One other item, 
um, Kylie um, from Kylie's Corner before we move on to the next subject. Um, what's going on in Idaho? Is he going to get off? What's going on in Idaho? You know, if he does, I think there'll be a lot of people that riot. However, um, if he does, he's probably got a slam bang uh, lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. So he waived his right to a speedy trial. So we will not see this in court for a long time, they say. Could be years, 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 years. Um, during that hearing, though, Kaylee, one of the victims, her one of her family members, they don't show it because they don't show the audience sure, in the sure. courtroom, um, wrote, wore a pro-death penalty shirt to kind of taunt Brian. Um, <laughs> and they also, he was, uh, so cameras will be allowed in the courtroom. However, I don't think, that, I think the judge ruled that they, they won't report on okay. the case. So there will be cameras, so I'm assuming, you know, at the end of it, there'll be a documentary and whatnot. However, there won't be live reporting. And um, one, one, <laughs> this one's funny. One of Brian's uh, arguments against it was they kept focusing on his crotch. <laughs> so supposedly, I yeah, I haven't seen any of those photos, but the judge agreed that <laughs> something fishy was going on. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, all right. So let's let's Sam, let's talk about Salman Rushdie. As you know, a fanatical jihadist attacked him on the stage, stabbed him. He lost an eye. Right? You have two, so I guess you only need one. According to the Biden administration, you only need one eye now. Uh, this is amazing. So Barry Weiss's Free Press reporting today, uh, Salman Rushdie's attacker, I'm just going to read this, folks. Right. Salman Rushdie's attacker getting treated with kid gloves. Sure, a crazy jihadi ran on stage and stabbed Salman Rushdie, who lost an eye. But have you considered that the Biden administration really wants to make a deal with Iran? And so maybe Rushdie is being a little dramatic. Did he really need both eyes? This is a real quote from Jason Schmidt, the district attorney overseeing the case, arguing that some of the prosecution depends on Biden's Iran agenda. Quote, the U.S. attorney's office, I know they are engaged in their own investigation and, you know, potential prosecution. And they've been looking at this as well. I do think it does have political considerations and recognizing, for instance, that the Biden government is trying to negotiate with Iran now to bring them back into a nuclear treaty. I understand that there's a lot of considerations here that, you know, that are way outside my pay grade. I, I, I'm telling you, this administration, what they decide needs to re, you know, receive the punishment of the law and what needs to be handled kid gloves is a decision they make every day now. Well, let's add the fact that this nuclear treaty is literally just a way to hand Iran a nuclear bomb. 100%. I mean, nothing more. It, it's handing them money and a bomb. And that's what you're, you're saying that Salman Rushdie's attacker should be let off, should be should be allowed to skate on it's it's just not a justice system i want in my country it's not a justice system no it's not at all folks thank you for spending time with us this weekend and this is breaking battlegrounds you can see this clip and more at breakingbattlegrounds.vote or pick us up wherever you listen to podcasts and in addition we have all our other markets so check out our website again breakingbattlegrounds.vote on behalf of sam and i and kylie's corner have a great weekend